Welcome to the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour on Radio Free Nashville, 107.1 and 103.7, and streaming live at RadioFreeNashville.org. My name is Jim Wolgamuth, and I'm here with co-host Harvey Bennett and our special guest panelist, David Cooley and Bruce Carruthers. We're all Vietnam veterans, and we're all members of Veterans for Peace. Veterans for Peace is an international organization of military veterans and allies whose collective efforts are to build a culture of peace, humanity, equality, and justice. Go to veteransforpeace.org. This show is on stations across the country, thanks to Pacifica Radio Network. You can also get a copy by just going to SoundCloud or Anchor and searching Veterans for Peace, the Hector Black Chapter. You can also easily find us through your podcast app on your phone. Just search Veterans for Peace. Veterans of Peace Radio Hour and Radio Free Nashville are supported in part by the Green Party of Tennessee, bringing some common sense into the bipolar world of American politics. Go to greenpartyoftennessee.org. So before we get going with our panel, we're starting something new. We're going to be tracking the progress of the Golden Rule, the Veterans for Peace Sailboat for Peace, and the end of our nuclear nightmare. The Golden Rule set sail from Hawaii last week heading for California as it prepares for its cruise for peace next year. So right now the Golden Rule is nearly 700 miles north of Hawaii in the open Pacific and doing well. Now on with the show. Well today on today's show we've got a panel that's going to talk about VA health care and the Mission Act and Biden's proposal to spend billions of dollars to upgrade the uh, the VA if it gets passed. And so we've got a panel that in- includes Bruce Carruthers and David Cooley. And of course, Harvey's here. So Bruce, who are you? I'm uh, Bruce Carruthers. I'm a service-connected Vietnam veteran, and I also uh, was a career VA employee. I worked in uh, half my career in human resources and half in hospital administration. I worked at 10 different VA facilities, including um, a three-year stint in central office in Washington, D.C., and I've been uh, an active member of Veterans for Peace for some time, and I'm a member of the uh, Veterans for Peace National Project to Save Our VA. I'm on the uh, steering committee. Excellent. And David? Uh, hi, I'm David Cooley. I'm uh, also a member of Veterans for Peace. I am a Vietnam service-connected veteran. Uh, I was a part of SOLVA, Save Our VA, early on. Uh, I've stepped back from it to a considerable degree um, because I was sort of burnt out to some degree. And for the my own health and my family's health, I've stepped back from it for a bit, but I'm not letting it go. Uh, there's, it's too important to too many other veterans out there uh, for us to not work at it and try and stave off some of these privatization efforts that are going forward. You guys have a real depth of understanding of the situation. We need to try to boil it down to something that's digestible to our listeners and can focus them on some things they can do. Yeah. And you you guys are part of what Veterans for Peace calls... uh, SOVA. SOVA. What does SOVA stand for? Save our VA. Save our VA. All right. Well, 
tell us what what does the veterans for peace um sova project what what are they trying what do they do okay well um there have been a lot of people involved in um save our va effort over the years i think david's person has been really involved in it and buzz has been <laughs> this latest iteration we're a national project of um veterans for peace and so um in february of uh 19 we had a lobbying meeting in washington dc where we met with various congress people about trying to stop privatizing the va and, and out of that uh, evolved this latest iteration of Save Our VA. So it's a national project. And what we're really trying to do is a, a couple things. We tried in, uh, to lobby important people in Congress, like Takano and uh, Tester. We send out calls to action to uh, people, and they're pretty easy. If they sign up for that, they get a letter which they can personalize and then is automatically sent to the appropriate congressman or administrative official and we get a count of who it goes to. We have been conducting uh, training sessions with Suzanne Gordon at various chapters, and we're trying to get other people to write uh, letters to the editor, anything they can do to try to bring uh, what's happening to the VA and what this uh, the Mission Act and what privatization really amounts to in the VA. I think a lot of people see it as potentially a good thing without understanding the threat it poses to the VA healthcare system in what's really involved in this mission act and what's really involved in privatization. Well, and there's been so much of a concerted effort for years through the CVA and these and other Koch brothers issue to, to so, you know, really tarnish the uh, image of the VA with the general public. Well, they have, I, what they really would like to do, I believe is make the VA what they say it is. They would like to weaken it enough so that in fact it is a second-class healthcare system, then there's no reason to maintain it. Mm -hmm. there, are, there are numerous studies that show VA care is equal to or superior to the private sector. The latest one was this one by economists from Stanford, uh, I think uh, Case Western in Berkeley called <coughs> the VA Advantage. Carnegie Mellon. Carnegie Mellon, yeah. Carnegie Mellon, I'm sorry. And it showed clearly that uh, emergency care at the VA, that survival rate is much higher and cost is much lower. And there are a number of other studies. I mean, that through the last five or six years, there have been several studies by the Rand Corporation, by other groups that con consistently show the VA provides high quality care at a lower cost. And that's, there are a lot of other uh, issues with the Mission Act. If you'd like, I could talk about them for a minute. Please do. Well, see, part of the problem is, so what, what they tell veterans is, well, you'll get your choice of seeing your provider and you'll see a provider in your neighborhood. So that's better than having to go to the VA. But here are some of the issues. The doctors who are selected for this community care program are not credentialed the way VA doctors are. Some of them, in fact, we've been told even have been fired by the VA are now working for in the community care program. Their outcomes are not reviewed. I mean, once a veteran goes to a community care doctor or a private doctor, the VA doesn't oversee that. They have no idea what the outcomes are. These people are not trained by the VA and they're not under the supervision of the VA. So a good example that Suzanne Gordon gives is in New York State, they surveyed uh, mental health providers who wanted to be in the community prayer, uh, care program 
would they be willing to take a two-hour training program on uh, issues specific to veterans? Less than 5% responded positively. <clears throat> two hours. <laughs> so so they're not credential. They don't, they don't understand veterans' issues. And they're not supervised by the VA. They're not under the control of VA doctors. Now, when the VA sets up a community-based clinic, those doctors work for the VA, or if they don't, if they're private contractors, they're vetted by the VA. The VA knows what kind of experience they have and their outcomes are reviewed. But when you go to a community care doctor, you know how it is if you go to the private sector, it's very fragmented. So you see one doctor and he may refer you to another doctor and then trying to get the records integrated is almost impossible. Mm -hmm. And you know, in the VA, when you go to a VA hospital, you're part of a treatment team and, and people who are treated by the VA, I can be seen in Asheville and I could be on vacation in Arizona and I go to the hospital there, my medical record is available to everybody. And when I walk in the door at the VA, if I have one problem and the doctor realizes that I have other problems, I can immediately be referred to another provider in that area. <laughs> that doesn't help him when you see a private provider. Mm -hmm. I, I'll just, I'll give you a couple of good examples, <clears throat> I think. So if you're a Vietnam veteran and you have a cardiac problem, a VA doctor will know to ask, were you in Vietnam? And if you say yes, he'll say, well, cardiac conditions are presumed to be related to exposure to Agent Orange. You may be entitled to service-connected compensation. If you're a combat veteran and you're experiencing PTSD and you go to a VA provider, that provider understands PTSD, you'll be with other veterans who've had that experience. If you refer to a private mental health provider and you're in a group of people that have other kinds of depression, they don't understand the military experience. And my guess would be most veterans would be reluctant to speak about their combat experiences to people other than, than veterans. People have had the same kind of experience. So the VA is a holistic integrated healthcare system that treats the whole person and it's not a for-profit organization. The, the latest um, the latest iteration of what the private sector would like to do to the VA is have the VA provide primary care and refer all the specialty care out to the private sector because that's where the money is. That's where the tests are. That's where you make a lot of money on CTs, on PET scans, on procedures and all that. You don't make much money on primary care. That's why we can't get doctors to go into primary care. And that's what conserved veterans of America and other people would like to do. If they don't want to get rid of the VA entirely, they certainly want to have it be much smaller and not be comprehensive. And you know, and the VA teaches has, has four missions. So healthcare for veterans, research in, in many uh, things that are helpful to veterans, prosthesis and other sorts of research things come from research at the VA. The VA has a very strong research program. Agent Orange Registry, all these sorts of things that track what happened to veterans, there'll be no entity to do that research and to track what happens to veterans if the VA doesn't exist. The VA has an education mission. You know, over half the doctors in the United States receive some of their training at the VA. The VA trains thousands of nurses, thousands of physical therapists, occupational therapists. If the VA disappeared, medical training would really be impacted in the VA. And then finally, the uh, national preparedness. And the VA has done so much better job on COVID-19 than this sort of uh, fragmented healthcare system we have. 
that it's important that in the, in the event of a national emergency, a large integrated healthcare system continues to exist. Well, it's like the, everyone has already forgotten about all these hospitals that don't have ICU beds and uh, you know have no surge capacity for something like a pandemic. And the VA is a safety valve and it has functioned uh, as kind of a rescue <laughs> uh, asset across the country for uh, many of these COVID outbreaks. Yeah, it has, and it has done a very good job on uh, providing uh, vaccinations for, for veterans. And, you know, VA personnel have assisted other hospitals in many cases where there's been a, there has been a shortage. Yeah. If I can ask a question, if I can jump back or up about, and this is something that Biden has got his infrastructure package. And apparently it's got $18 billion to upgrade VA medical centers. $3 billion is earmarked to address unsafe and inefficient conditions, upgrade facilities to accommodate the increasing number of women veterans and improve access for aging veterans. Uh, but, and that's all in the pa current package. But I understand that some, some congresspeople are angling to say, well, we don't really need it in the, uh, in the uh, infrastructure package because the AIR commission hasn't come through with its findings. And so we need, we need the AIR to come through first before we allocate all these billions of dollars uh, going to the VA. Jim, the, the Emission Act specifically states that no uh, changes to the VA, no building programs, none of those should be affected by the Air Commission. So it, it, it specifically says that the VA should continue everything it's doing without consideration of the Air Commission. So there's not an excuse for holding up uh, these things. And you know, it's, uh, Dave, we want to talk about this, but some of these facilities really need upgrading. I mean, some of them are over 50 years old and, and really need substantial upgrading. And the nature of veterans that we're treating now, there are a lot more women in the service than there used to be. And so the need for women veterans and the conditions that veterans face are different now. So this is just, this is not uh, any kind of bonus. This is sort of catching up a little bit. This is where the VA has been behind and needs some money for infrastructure. Sure. Up there. You know, Can you explain for the listeners what AIR uh, sure. stands for? Sure. It's AIR stands for Asset Infrastructure Review Commission. And so the, uh, Bruce can probably address it even more authoritatively than I, but it's essentially to look at the VA structure and facilities around the country, medical centers and clinics, and decide which of those medical centers and clinics should continue to operate as they are. Some might be expanded. Some might be rebuilt. Some might be built anew. But there's the one of the prime objectives of this was to look at those facilities 
that might be closed. And, well, I was just going to add, Bruce, that I think if I'm always sort of thinking ahead and and those people who are saying we really don't need this investment in the VA right now because we have the air commission to going to take go into effect and and do its magic over the next two years. Right. Um, what what they're really not saying is in a disingenuous way, if you leave some of these structures in an unsafe condition, if you leave them in a non upgraded condition, we are more going to be able to more easily exactly. deem them to be something that should be gotten rid of, closed, gone away. Right. You know, so, so yes, there's been years of putting off, taking care of housekeeping, so to say, and this is something to catch up and come up to date to, to some small degree. Um, but it, in relation to the, it, I think it has real bearing on the air commission because I just think it's, it's, um, uh, it's, a, it's a way that some facilities may continue to see their viability going forward, even under the air commission where it might not be had if that investment were not made. You know, as, as David said, uh, the idea behind many people like these concerned veterans of America and the Koch brothers is if they can make the VA what they claim it is, if they can get it understaffed, underfunded, then it will be an organization that shouldn't exist. That's the idea. So let's make it as bad as we pretend it is, and then there's no reason for it to continue to exist. Among other things, you know, of course, the air condition is mandated as part of the as part of the uh, 2018 Mission Act. And it's going to have five presidentially appointed members um, beginning to read over the language of the part of the bill that contains the air condition. You know, they want to have somebody from pre the reasons why they want certain people are evident to me because of the prior administration we had in office that helped to bring about the air the mission act in the first place but that is the the point is that um they want to have uh one of the people uh be a executive from a private health care system that does a minimum of 50 million dollars a year in business uh, they also want to have somebody who was involved in the Choice Act of 2014 be involved in the Air Commission. Uh, to me, the reason for those particular individuals being involved uh, does not make a lot of sense unless my objective was to have those kinds of mindsets and positions within the corporate medical political world that we're looking to take the VA down in its public status to work it slowly 
privatizing it. I think one of the things that when we need to be uh, cognizant of when we're talking about privatizing the VA, you know, it's right now it's uh, something like 50% or more of the uh, veteran health care is done outside of the VA. Prior to 2014, when the Choice Act was brought into being, we had like 20% of veteran care was done outside of the VA. Now, the thing that we should be aware of is two things. One, if your facility is closed, that means there's no VA health care in your area. If you have a medical center that's closed as opposed to just a clinic, that means the clinics go along with them. Like, say, for example, in Minnesota here, we have two VA medical centers. If one of those medical centers was closed, then half of the state's outstate out clinics go away. That means that's going to affect a lot of rural veterans who already have a hard time finding enough care, particularly people who are veteran-centric in being able to understand their needs, uh, those things are going to go away. And then when you couple that with the fact that at least 55% of the counties in the United States don't have any mental health care providers in them, zero, that means all those veterans from from Korea to to Afghanistan and Iraq, etc., who are dealing with mental health issues, and they're and of course they're they were bad enough back in Vietnam, but they seem to be even more so prevalent today. Those people are going to have nowhere to go in 55% of the counties. Maybe um, Bruce could step in here and. The Air Commission, uh, it's a, a BRAC-like commission, you know, the Base Closure Commission. Right. The, uh, the commission will make its review and make recommendations to the president. If he sends them to Congress, it's an up or down vote. So they either decide they, they will approve everything or not approve of it. it. There are some issues with that I could talk about briefly about the Air Commission, about who's supposed to be on the Air Commission. And David mentioned these uh, a little bit. These are some of the things that really trouble us about uh, what the requirements are. There, there's no requirement that anybody that's had experience in the VA healthcare system be on the commission. <laughs> there's no requirement that any member have public health experience and the VA is a public health effort. Uh, this idea that, as David mentioned, there was gonna be supposed to be one person from an integrated healthcare system uh, that makes at least $50 million a year. Other than the VA, there's no really true true integrated healthcare system in the country. And the concern here is anybody who is on this commission with links to the private sector has an interest in diverting the billions of dollars that are spent on VA healthcare to the private sector. So it almost seems like a conflict of interest. We recently had a conversation with um, staff, the House staff, uh, the House Veterans Affairs Committee staff expressing some of our concerns and said to them, people who are gonna be on the committee, commission, who are gonna be staff for the commission and who are gonna do the contract work commission, they have to be vetted to be sure that they have no way of benefiting from privatization. 
shouldn't be people who are on this uh, commission who will have some sort of interest in the private healthcare sector. So the commission is supposed to meet, they're supposed to make their recommendation, and David said they're supposed to review these facilities, see which might be expanded, which could be closed, which could be repurposed. We don't know yet what the criteria is gonna be, and we, that hasn't been, as far as I know, it hasn't been published. We don't know how they're gonna conduct these reviews or what sort of criteria they're gonna use to make a determination on whether something is utilized or underutilized. And there are a lot of questions here. So they'll say, David mentioned, you know, rural health, rural health, uh, rural hospitals are closing on a regular basis. And in some places, before I moved to North Carolina, I lived in Kansas. And there are places in Western Kansas where people have to drive 50 miles to a pharmacy, let alone to see a doctor. Jesus. And so it's not gonna be easier for a veteran to see somebody in a rural area where there are no healthcare providers anyway, if mm -hmm. the VA doesn't provide that care. And as David said, if they're not uh, veteran centric, if they don't understand veterans issues. So we are right at this point, we're very concerned about the composition of the Air Commission. Mm -hmm. The members of the AR, AR commissioner are going to be chosen by Biden. They are. So he makes he, maybe he, could in, exert in, some influence. In with consultation with the leadership of the House and the Senate. <clears throat> yeah. And so we are trying. Uh, we're trying to arrange a call with Senator Tester's staff to express our concerns, yeah. so that when they review these, and also uh, we're hoping to write to whoever's in the Biden administration will be very involved in this to say, you know, these are the questions we have. When you make recommendations, you've got to be sure these people have the interests of veterans at heart, and they're not people who simply want to privatize the VA. Would it make sense to go to the the new head of the VA? Uh, yeah, I, I believe so. I mean, that's one of the, the, we have, I don't know whether you were aware, but you know, the, the VA asked for comments on and the federal register on what they should direct the air commission to do. And so we did submit comments and we encouraged other people to do that. The, the comment period is closed. In fact, uh, Bruce Perry in Chicago set up a, a fairly large meeting where we talked about the air commission and encouraged people to write, uh, to submit comments uh, to the federal register. So they do have a lot to do with it, but once the, once the criteria is set, who is on the commission? Who's the chair, for example? What is the, what's the mindset of the person who's the chair and the co, or the, the chairs and the co-chairs of the committee? It's gonna be extremely important in determining what the findings are. So the deadline for the comments was like May 1st or? May 1st, yeah, that's coming There's wrong. no way, there's no attempt to try to extend that. Not you that know. I know of. Mm -hmm. But you know, people could still write to uh, the administrator yeah. Uh, the uh, secretary of the VA and express their concerns to okay. So the, the, the air commissioner air commission has not really been established yet. That's uh, up to Biden. Uh, the personnel have not been yeah. chosen. Correct. It, uh, the air commission has to be appointed by May 31st of this year. Wow. Okay. That's, uh, <laughs> Listed, so that's going to be coming up. That was stipulated in the bill when it was passed, and uh, and I had a question for for Bruce that uh, the the letter that you write to um, the VA head or to Biden or to Tester or whomever can that be a 
call to action. And we did send out a call to action on the Air Commission. I, if people are really interested in um, the Air Commission, what's going on, they can go to our website, go to Sova and Veterans for Peace, and then you can find information on that. And you can sign up for our calls to action. And then you'll get an email with a letter and it's an easy thing to do. I mean, you can, we, we really encourage people to personalize it. We've gotten research from, mm -hmm. I'm trying to think what group it was, but it's about 50% more effective if the letter has a slight personalization to it. So yeah. you don't have to be a veteran to send a letter. No, you do not. In no. fact, we encourage everyone and people who are veterans or non-veterans. It doesn't make any difference. And so the website that they should go to is veteransforpeace.org. And once you get there, then scroll down to what to, what we're working on and they'll find SOVA. Yeah, they, there's a menu you can pull down that SOVA is one of the options. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I found out on that today was about these listening sessions, AIR listening sessions that they're having all over the country. So I've registered for the one here in Charleston on May 28th, which is three days or two days before uh, the commission is named. So uh, <clears throat> I encourage anyone who's interested in doing that, go to that link uh, provided there on the SOVA uh, section of Veterans for Peace. And uh, a lot of them have already happened, I assume, because they have through the month. <laughs> But anyway, I got in under the wire, so I'm looking for They have it. been, from our understanding, they have been, uh, oh, I've been not very in-depth, and they just sort of ask questions, you know, like, what do you like, what do you want to do? All they right. haven't really been probing the issue of privatization. Yeah. But uh, Arliss said it, and they both said it was pretty disappointing that, uh, and they tried to ask some pointed questions and didn't get much of a response from them, so... I don't know how much the listening, uh, yeah, um, these listening sessions, how much good they will do. But okay. a person should listen to them if they can, and you know, express their concerns about privatization. You know, when we were talking to Takano staff, and people were really helpful. They're having a hard time getting information on what questions are going to be asked, what the guidelines are going to be, how are they going to make these determinations, whether a facility's underutilized or not, and there's a possibility for greater utilization. So. They haven't gotten much information on what's going to happen yet. I, I think there are a lot of unknowns. That's my understanding. Anyway, the last I talked to Suzanne Gordon and other people. That if there are any people, Harvey or anyone else who is potentially real wonky, you can Google um, the uh, AIR Commission and and uh, or the text of text-s.2372-115th Congress, and that'll give you the text of the Mission Act. And within the Mission Act, you'll have to, boy, it's it's long, yeah, I've got to do a lot of scrolling. But if you're, there's sort of an index of sorts. You're going to scroll down over half of the way through it, and you'll eventually come to the AIR Commission, and it's going to lay out all the specifics of it. And you and and if you if you were to look through that, you might come up with a question or two 
that you'd like to ask at one of those listening sessions. That well, I remember reading that when it first came up, reading that AIR commission and the authority that they were given. And I was struck by the fact that there's really no input from Congress or anyone else into their decision. And there's actually not really any appeal, appeal process. So it's problematic, this up and down vote, but it was set up that way for a reason, to be able to, uh, the current administration get its way. You know, they figured they were going to be in here for another term, and consequently they were going to be able to roll over it and and um, appease the, the Koch brothers and appease the major healthcare providers. And, and you know, the other one that, we don't think about that often is the pharmaceutical companies. They'd love for the VA to go away because the VA is the only entity currently that can negotiate drug prices in the U.S. But for any listeners who happen to be listening who are not veterans or who are uh, family members of veterans or who have veterans within the extended family, what they don't realize, as Bruce was alluding to earlier in those various missions that the VA has, there's a tremendous amount of health care to the general public that has come about over the years through the VA. This pacemaker that I have in my chest was partially developed through research at the VA medical centers years ago. Uh, and there are just so many things that it has been of help to the general public that they do not know about. And if those things go away, the other thing that's really problematic for any listeners who veteran who are happen to be veterans and are not really engaged in this, if if you're a veteran and you and or you have sons or daughters who are going to be veterans in the future, you want them to be able to have VA health care because without VA health care, that research goes away. We're not going to go know what it's going to disappear into the ether in the private medical system. If, they're ha if veterans are having problems related to burn pits or the next burn pit or Agent Orange issue or depleted uranium, you name it, those things are not going to be dealt with through the private sector. So not only will veterans be hurt, but the families of veterans and consequently, so will so will the general public. Hey, just to add on to what David said, you know, uh, VA uh, patients are often lifetime patients, so the VA can follow a patient for mm -hmm. years. And when you're in the private sector, you move or you change healthcare plans. There's no continuity of care. There's no way to follow that. Another point I wanted to make for younger veterans is you might think right now you don't need the VA, but when you're going to experience the kind of conditions that Vietnam veterans have experienced, it's when you get to middle age. It's when you really start having the problems you had for military service. And if the VA is gone by the time you younger veterans get to middle age, you're going to be SOL. There's going to be no organization that's going to track your illness, that cares about you, that provides research and information to Congress to say that, you know, these people have problems because of their military service. Mm -hmm. 
And so it's important that the VA be retained, not just for today's veterans, but for the veterans of our endless wars. What Bruce said is so important. You know, I did not go to the VA for the real health care that I needed until I was nearly 65. I had spent years of depression, anxiety because of PTSD, moral injury. I had, uh, um, I'm a Agent Orange survivor. I've had, I have uh, thyroid issues. I have prostate, have had prostate cancer. Uh, I've got all the neuropathy in my fingers and hands. And if the VA had not been there, when I came to it late in life, I'd have been SOL, you know, mm -hmm. and, and quite frankly, there are a whole lot of veterans along the way, unfortunately, the road through life in age. Mm -hmm. uh, we all know that there's far too many veterans commit suicide over the years. And, and I'd be one of those statistics had the VA not been there. And where would the private sector uh, find a way to make money off suicide prevention? <laughs> well, they, they charge for, uh, you know, you go in to get a counseling session, they charge for that. But you know, I can't remember the statistics offhand, but the VA success in suicide prevention with uh, veterans is much greater than it is in the private sector. Oh, yeah. Well, just the awareness to even explore it. David, I know you had wanted to also um, mention, make an appeal about uh, the overseas veterans and uh, as far yeah. as the COVID pandemic. Thank you. Thank you, Harvey. Um, yeah, um, this came about through um, um, Wayne Beverly. I don't know if any of you know him. Uh, he's a former U.S. Marine. He lives over in Thailand. Uh, he has a extremely storied history. Uh, there should be a book, maybe a movie about this guy, quite frankly. Uh, but anyway, he somehow or another got to talking to uh, Leo Shane, who writes for uh, Military Times. And because Wayne living in uh, Thailand is not able to get a COVID vaccination. In Thailand, for example, those people who are going to get a COVID vaccination, if they had vaccines available, were going to be citizens of Thailand and not a Farang, as they call them, a foreigner living in Thailand. And so consequently, uh, Wayne uh, reached, has been making some noises, reached out to uh, Leo Shane at Military Times. And there is an article in Military Times. Um, and, uh, and through that, um, the VA has apparently got wind of the noises that Wayne is making about veterans overseas, whether they're living in Thailand or wherever in the world they're living. Do you have any sense of the numbers we're talking about? Uh, 
I don't have a sense, but it's in the several thousands. Some of those veterans are also deported veterans, most of them down in Mexico right now. And we all know that a lot of those people who were deported were deported because they had PTSD, they were getting in trouble, etc., because of their time in the military and the and the uh, DOD uh, kicked them out, so they wouldn't. So you know, I, the DOD has this sort of unspoken holy alliance with Congress and the VA. You know, um, the VA and or DOD and the Congress they determine who gets VA health care. And so if you can get rid of some some um, people through bad paper or whatever, then so be it, whether you get them out of the country or give them a bad paper discharge. Well, anyway, uh, so Wayne was making some noises. The VA got away, became aware of it and um, somehow or another. And um, and uh, they've reached out to Wayne to say, you know, we if you will please contact us, we'll find a way to get a vaccine for you. But this isn't doing anything for all those other thousands of vets. Consequently, we've put a letter together uh, through Buzz Davis and some primarily and uh, editing on a bunch of our parts um, to uh, a letter to Biden that is going to be addressed to him. And um, we are interested in people willing to sign on to that. Um, they could either contact myself or Buzz Davis through email. Uh, people can contact Buzz Davis at D as in Delta, B as in Buzzard, okay? B U Z Z. Davis, D-A-V-I-S, at AOL.com, or myself, David Cooley, at D-A Cooley, C-O-O-L-E-Y, at usinternet.com, and indicated a desire to sign on, and we will work to get you uh, signed up. We may need to contact you by email if we need any other information. But basically, we want to know if you're a veteran, your name, maybe where or when you served, something like that. And uh, and we'll, we'll get you signed on to that letter. Um, felt that it was important to keep the letter as focused as possible on trying to find ways to get a combination of the VA Department of Defense and the Veterans Affairs Administration to find a way to provide COVID-19 vaccines to this, these people overseas, which they currently are not getting. So the letter, so if I can update, if I can go back through, the, a final letter is being prepared. Yes. And, yeah, the, and, uh, if, it, and if yeah. somebody out there wants to wants to uh, participate and sign on to that letter to provide extra power to uh, bet the Veterans for Peace project uh, it, as far as getting Biden to act, getting Biden, the VA, and the Defense Department to all act to get COVID vaccines to veterans overseas. They just have to write 
uh, to you guys uh, at your emails. And if you don't mind, go through those emails again. Okay. Buzz Davis's email is D-B-U-Z-Z-D-A-V-I-S at AOL.com. Or for myself, David Cooley, it's D-A-C-O-O-L-E-Y at usinternet.com. Because that's huge. That's huge. And, and, and you, don't, you don't have to be a veteran to write you an email, right? You do not have to be a veteran. You can be a supporter of veterans. You don't have to. You can be a veteran. You don't have to be a member of Vets for Peace. I highly promote that you take this out into the veteran community mm -hmm. and get other people to sign on. We are all veterans. It doesn't matter what organization you belong to. If I think if people, you know, I worked for the VA for 30 years in these different locations, and I think if people understood what the VA healthcare system is, they would say we should have the same thing. I should be able to go in and see one doctor. I should be able to get whatever healthcare I need, including pharmaceuticals. Nobody should be making a profit off of this. I shouldn't be shuffled back and forth. I shouldn't be getting needless tests. I should be the center of what's going on here. And I should be followed for a lifetime. My physician should have an interest in, um, in preventative care and taking care of me and, you know, and not in just treating my illness, but seeing me as a person. And that's what you get when you go to the VA. Now, of course, the VA has some problems. No big system is uh, perfect, but study after study shows the VA does a better job in the private sector. And I think if people really understood that, they wouldn't be opposed to the VA. They would say, how come I don't have that? Why don't all American citizens have the same thing? Why isn't this our healthcare system? I, I can flesh out what Bruce was just saying so eloquently with some personal uh, uh, stories. Recently, I was at a primary care uh, annual physical checkup. I went to see my nurse, check, to check in with my nurse first. She was in tears because there are two nurses in the particular primary health clinic that was I was dealing with, and there were multiple primary health clinics within the Minneapolis VA. But this nurse, who was an LPN and one RN, were, are doing the work that normally six nurses were doing. Six nurses, two are doing the job. Mm -hmm. Now imagine the stress on this woman and potentially some missed things because for various veterans because of all that stress and shortage of time that she has available. She said, I'm ordering this test and that test. Now those tests were not done because that clinic is a for-profit clinic that needs to pay for a CAT scan or an ultrasound machine or anything of that nature. The tests that I had done were specific because of what my provider was, was witnessing and 
It wasn't something that it was going to make the VA hospital any money whatsoever. It cost them money to have send me to more tests. But that's another, simply a personal example of how the VA deals with what your health care issues are, not a combination of what your health care issues are and how the clinic or medical center is going to make some bucks off of you. Thanks. That's a, that's a great story. And, um, you know, you, 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 you started off David by talking about the two nurses Yeah. and I will go to the VA and I will sit in the waiting room and I will hear these old SOBs like me mm-hmm. bitching and moaning and complaining about the weight. And I have to just stop and say, guys, think about it. These folks can't fill positions. These folks are underfunded. And you're complaining as they're trying to do the best they can with the resources they have. And you're still getting better care than if you go three blocks down to Mission or right across the street to Vanderbilt. And you're sitting here and complaining? Well, and Jim, tell me. That try pretty much shuts them up. Try to, try to get these appointments with a specialist and see how easy it is. Exactly. They talk about the weight. Well, I got to wait for this. I got to wait for this. You try the private sector. Yeah. Your wait is going to be longer at your private sector oftentimes. Yeah. And I, and, and I was worse and results are going to be worse. I would say those vets have some right to complain. But where they should be doing their complaining is on the telephone or on their email to their congressperson and saying, why aren't you fully funding the staff positions to my local VA so that I can get adequate health care there? That's what I'll be doing Friday. So, all right. So we've kept you guys for over a little over an hour. Can we go back through the calls to action? So that everybody that's listening knows exactly what uh, we want you to do. And if you don't mind, I'm going to add a, a quick call to action to say, call your congressman and say, do not attach the billions of dollars in Biden's infrastructure to the air commission. Do not attach it. Let it pass. Just let right. it pass. Support it intact. So that's, that's one thing. Um, another call to action is to write you guys an email and get on this letter going to Biden with regard to overseas uh, vaccinations. Okay. Um, what else should we ha- ask people to do? Well, the, the third one is if they go to the Veterans for Peace Save Our VA site, there's a button there that says calls to action. And so we issue those, I, I would say maybe two a month. They can sign up for it. They can see the issues. They will get an email and they can decide if that's something they want to forward and then personalize the letter. So we, we are always trying to look for the most important issue and ongoing calls to action and encourage people to take a look at that if they're interested and to sign up for the calls to action. Yeah. And they can find that from the VFP website if they click on take action and they'll be yes, uh-huh. drops down. 
and yeah. just save our VA on there. Yeah, yeah, they can find it right on the on the yeah. uh, Veterans for Peace website. Yeah. So, so gentlemen, um, before we let you go, is there something you wanted to say tonight that you didn't get a chance to say? David. When you were talking about calls to action, it made me think of, I get calls to action from DAV on the computer. There's such and such bill up for, before the House or Senate. We want you to uh, click on the Commander's Action Network or whatever they call it and support this bill. So your congressperson or senator will hear that you support this and now will promote it. And what I've come to realize in looking at all those bills, representative comes up with an idea for a bill that is, is a really a good idea, but there's no funding attached to it. And yet within the bill, it mandates that the VA will provide staffing and they'll provide the funding for it. It is, in essence, de facto VA privatization because it's making the VA do more with that pot of money and with that already underfunded, under understaffed workforce that they have. So you're, what you're saying is get a second opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Think about what you're signing instead of just. Yeah. 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 Always look at it. Always look at it. And, and, and if somebody has a question like that, if they get something from DAV, could they write you guys and say, what do you think? Absolutely. All right. Another reason to send uh, Bruce and David an email. The the only thing I would like to add is um, when I go to uh, Lowe's or Home Depot or someplace, I often, I get a discount or people thank me for my service. And I, I think that's nice. But what I try to tell people is the cost of war, the cost of military service is always caring for those who serve. And if you really want to help veterans, contact your congressman and tell them, fund the VA. Make sure it's fully staffed and fully funded. If you really care about veterans, you know, parades and thanks are nice. But if you really want to do something, get on the phone, write a letter, contact people and say, you know, we care about veterans and we want to be sure they're cared for when they get home. That's what's really important. So we have to leave it there. But we want to thank David Cooley and Bruce Carruthers so much for all the information about the current status of the VA. Please do your part. Call your congressperson to make sure that the VA remains in Biden's infrastructure bill. And for more actions, go to veteransforpeace.org and then click Take Action. And don't forget, send that email to David about getting vaccines to veterans overseas. Okay, so we need a song. And I asked David and Bruce, four recommendations and they gave me so many but the first one was by a young man i was not familiar with but i am so glad i am now here is eric koskinen with slower and boys fighting in the playground and bullies pulling hair shaking down Kicking girls like an old hellhound Women crying is an evil sound 
Firecrackers buried in the sand Blow the castle, make a stand Trade your marbles for your bubble gum Don't make me have to use my BB gun Yeah, and it's slow burn And it's slow burn Yeah, it's slow burn Yeah, it's slow burn Fireworks shooting through a cloud of smoke July tears like the Lord has spoke And I can't help it if my spirit's broke It all seems like a bad joke Bombs blasting in the July air no one laughing at this nightmare Bombs blasting right now somewhere Protecting presidents and millionaires And it's slow burn And it's slow burn And it's slow Darling sleeping in the backyard Dreaming of dreaming underneath the stars Frying up a plate of potato stew Wondering if I can remember you Eighteen years of working for the man On a social plan In 18 years In the garbage can Star Spangled Banner Glory, glory Band It's slow Burn And it's slow Burn And it's slow such thing as precious time when you're down in the unemployment line and I ain't decided if I lost my mind I just hope to see you at least one more time 
Run my fingers through your hair And I don't know if you'd even care 